word. One of the things that kept me going back to Christian Stronghold, my home church in Philly, you could not walk into that door of the church without being encouraged. Somebody was going to shake your hand. Someone was going to embrace you. And you had to be a pretty bad preacher not to do well at Christian Stronghold. Because <laughs> that church is an encouraging church. So I have been in the ministry for, in the, a pastor for 43 years now. I do not need what I used to need. If you say it's a great sermon, praise the Lord. If you don't, I know that I did what God told me to do. And I'm good with that. But it is, it's important to celebrate. When I think about what's going on in the church today, all these bootleg preachers, these false prophets that are filling churches, and people are emptying their bank accounts, overdrawing their their credit card accounts to take care of crooked pastors. And then we act like it's kind of hard to just say, praise the Lord for Pastor Vincent. I don't need you to do that, but it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. So when someone says we celebrate our pastor because he's teaching us and equipping us, you need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate that. When somebody talks, and that's still weak. I, I know I'm a good pastor. I know. I know I'm teaching the word. I know I'm preaching this word. I know that I am. I know that this is a good church. Somebody talk about this church. You ought to be celebrating because God is moving in this church. God is here. God is here. And so I, I, don't, I ain't asking you to put me on no pedestal, but give honor to who honor is due. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So the next time, yes. A great Hyundai that has their blinkers on. Amen, amen, amen. You will not have a working battery. Amen, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are excited for our elders and our deacons and our ministers. And we really try to be a blessing to those who are blessing us. And uh, one of the persons that is a great blessing to our church who has spearheaded the, uh, the uh, building construction, and just as we have, uh, who is just a brilliant person, that's Elder Ward. He's a bad man. That's a bad man right there. And so we, we are grateful to have him here. Today is his birthday. It's kind of curious that his son-in-law's birthday is in the same month. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Now, last week we had Evan getting married, but we had to retract that. Yeah, unless I see, I, I get stuff wrong. I get stuff wrong, but I'm glad you all know that I do in advance. So I'm not prophet lying. <laughs> but uh, can't believe everything you read. But we're grateful. We're so grateful. Uh, bless those who have blessed you. So if there's something that the Lord wants you to do for Elder Gray, 
I mean, Elder Ward, please do that. I know that every time I try to do something for Elder Gray, he says no, but I ignore him. And so nobody's asking for anything. But we want to bless those. Give honor to whom honor is due. So let's, let's bless these, these, these men of God and the women of God. Now stand with me as we turn our attention to the book of Daniel. This is the last of four sermons uh, under the title or the, the series title, Return, Return to the Fear of God. I want you to join with me as I begin reading in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 4. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of the heavens, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and give him and gives it to whomever he chooses. Now, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Be warned. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquity, iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps you may be, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your posterity. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we are so humble by what you are manifesting in our presence. And Father, while we are celebrating the manifestation of your presence, we want a habitation of your divine presence. We want you to remain on this church. Father, I pray that New Direction Bible Fellowship would be an epicenter where the presence of God overflows and radiates in that what you are doing here for your glory as we remain humble and confessing our sins and seeking your face, that they would know that this is a place where you are initiating healing for our land. Move, O oh Holy Spirit, right now from heart to heart and breast to breast. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The word warning can be defined as follows. It is a message to inform of danger. A statement or event that indicates a possible and a possible and impending danger. A warning is a notification of something 
usually in advance. It can be a statement that tells an employee that you are in trouble. Get your act together. Now, there are different warning levels of the job I do. Uh, at hospice, we have the green level warning, the, the yellow level, <laughs> and the red. If it's red, that means it's going to be a difficult family situation. And yellow means that they're cautious concerns and so forth. And green means this is normal. And so what we don't ever want to be guilty of is ignoring warnings. As we look back over our lives, many of us with regret, <laughs> if we were honest, would have to say that there were warnings that we ignored. And if we had paid attention, we would not be experiencing some of the consequences that we are facing in our daily lives. Now, while it's never good to reject wise counsel from people, the most dangerous thing that you can do, or I can do, is to ignore God's warning. There's always a consequence for ignoring warnings that come from the Lord. The Bible says the moment, the writer to the Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the moment that you hear God's voice today, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. That's a warning. In Numbers chapter 32, it says, be sure your sins will find you out. For every sin, there's a consequence because when we decide to sin, in order for that to happen, we had to ignore or reject a warning. The first command that was ever given in the Bible was a warning when God said to Adam, do not partake of the fruit in the midst of the garden, the tree that reveals, that reveals, that will, that will remove your, your innocence. During the past three weeks, we have challenged you from the word of God. Return to the fear of God. There's a, there's a departure from fearing God. That's why we have so much craziness around us. People have no reverence, no, no awe, no sense of humiliation based on who God has revealed himself to be. And even when people say, I do fear God, the evidence that we genuinely fear God will be demonstrated through obedience. There's no such thing as fearing God, reverencing God, having respect for God without obeying him. True fear of God is always evidence through obedience. We have learned the way to return to God is to understand that God cannot reign where he is not reverence. God cannot reign where he's not reverence. We've also learned through David's experience where the Bible said on that day, David was terrified of God. 
you will fear God now or fear him later. Fear him now or fear him later. And then we learned on last week from the experience of Joseph that every believer is constrained by the fear of God. When the fear of God is activated in our life, the love, the fear, the reverence of God will keep us from doing things that you have other, that we would have otherwise done. Today I've come to tell you, you've been warned. You've been warned. And from uh, the account in Daniel chapter 4, what this actually is until it actually becomes what was predicted, it was a warning. Daniel, the prophet of God, speaks truth to power. Nebuchadnezzar, during the year 605 B.C., was the most powerful human being on the planet. The nation of Babylon dominated the entire world. It was the most powerful empire in existence at the time when Daniel was directed by the Holy Spirit to warn King Nebuchadnezzar. Despite King Nebuchadnezzar's lofty position, I want you to know that God is not impressed. God is not impressed with our status. And when we start smelling ourselves, feeling like we have arrived and that, that we somehow are in control of anything. God will often give us warning shots. I wonder if there's areas in your life right now where you may be playing with fire, spiritually speaking. You're just going to try it. Uh, you're not going to make it a habit, but you just want to see what it's like. And the Holy Spirit's been convicting you. That's a warning shot. That's a warning shot. So I want to just share from verse 19, 24, and 27, again, what the Lord says to Daniel, to Nebuchadnezzar, to alert him of potential impending future danger. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do, in fact, what this is Belteshazzar is Daniel's name that was given to him by Nebuchadnezzar. It was, it was a name that was associated with an idol god, Bel. That's how arrogant <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was. I'm going to change your name. And, and, and when I call your name, I'll be calling the name of an idol god. So Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, 
He said, I wish what I'm about to tell you wasn't about you. <laughs> but God decided to drop this one, drop this email on, in, in your account. And you don't know how to interpret it, but, but this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree from the most high, the sovereign one, has issued against my lord, the king. And then verse 27, therefore, your majesty, we please accept my advice. Renounce your sin. I've already read that. And basically saying, he's saying to him, you've been warned. If you respond to the warning, what God has decreed that can happen to you, it doesn't have to happen. You, you, you don't need to go through this. You can avoid the consequences. He said, please heed my advice. Please, church, let's be in a posture where we will fear God so that the things that we find ourselves experiencing as Christians can be avoided because we have a reverence for God based on who we know he is, and we demonstrate that by our obedience. Now, what did God do to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention to warn him about his failure to fear him? See, pride is really the ultimate insult to God because when we elevate ourselves and place ourselves by our conceit and arrogance in a, in a, in, in a, a lofty position, we're actually pushing God off the throne of our lives, and we're replacing ourselves as the controller, as a ruler, as a Lord. And that, that you, what we're saying through our pride is, I'm not afraid of you, God, because I'm actually running this. I, I'm in charge of this. Can you imagine your son or daughter saying that to you? I'm running this, Dad. You cool. Go sit over there. I got this, Dad. Now, sometimes we get so busy that we don't have time for God. But he will get on your schedule. He, he will make way for him to be on your schedule. The Bible says uh, in verse 9 of chapter 4, and I, Belteshazzar, chief of the, the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy God is in you, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, and no secrets trouble you, explain to me the vision of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. God said, Nick, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you so big and so important. I'm not on your agenda, so I'm going to visit you in your sleep. I'm about to cause a sleep interruption. You're going to have a dream that's going to be so real and, and so exact that you're going to feel like you've been watching TV even before TV existed. So God interrupted Nebuchadnezzar's sleep and gave him a night vision. And he was able to see a tree 
and the tree blossomed, and it was so large and so fruitful that everyone could benefit from the fruit that was on the tree. But then he saw a second thing, that someone came along and chopped the tree down and left it, left only the stump. And the stump was, there was a gold chain put around the stump, and he, that stumped him. It, that, that, that disturbed him because here's this beautiful tree that's blessing everybody, and now all of a sudden someone comes along and cuts it down, and this leaves the stump. And we're going to see that that vision of the tree represented Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful leader in the world, and through his leadership, all of the countries and nations of the world were being blessed. But he got to thinking that he was the vine and not the branch. <laughs> he, was the, uh, uh, he was the potter and not the clay. <laughs> and so the Lord said, let me just show you. He cut the tree down and left the stump. So one of the ways that God will get your attention when we get full of ourselves is he will rob you of your sleep. And all of your nitol and all your other prescription medications ain't going to help you. You can even try to drink yourself to sleep, and you still will be seeing visions, and the visions of God trying to get your attention. I want you to know that visions were also true in the New Testament, so it's not just something that happens in the Old Testament. But God doesn't stop with a vision. The vision, all the vision did for Nebuchadnezzar was it troubled him. It messed him up. He wanted to figure out what it was. So in order to understand, many times you'll have a dream and you, about what's going to happen. You know it's future because it hasn't happened. Sometimes it feels like it's actually happening as you're sleeping. Uh, and, and, it, and then you wake up and you don't remember. Or you, if you do remember, it makes no sense. You need somebody to interpret that dream. And so what God does in terms of how he gets our attention, he will use a godly counselor, an advisor, to help us to understand why we keep having a recurring dream, why our sleep is interrupted, why we have no peace, especially at night we're tormented. And so God had at Nebuchadnezzar's uh, 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 access, he had the prophet Daniel. So it was Daniel who God used. The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So don't you be trying to figure out God's will based on your dream. Your dream is not reliable. The, what ultimately is going to determine the accuracy of your dream if it's from God, because sometimes your dream is from that bad pizza you ate. <laughs> but if it's from God, it will always line up with his word. And one of the ways that he will allow us to know that it's from him, he will send you a godly advisor, a godly counselor, who often will, sometimes people will be talking to you about something that they shouldn't even know, that they know based on a dream that you had that you didn't even tell them. Somebody calls that the word of knowledge. And so God will use a dream to interrupt your busy schedule. You know, you, know, you got this agenda, you so booked and got all this stuff going like, okay, okay. Let's spend some time at Christiana Hospital. He'll shut you down. 
Here's another way why God, how God will get our attention. God will compel you by the Holy Spirit to get your attention. Uh, and in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Pygia and Galatia they, they, because the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the providence of Asia at that time. This is just one example where the Holy Spirit, something, the Holy Spirit will, will give you a, you have a discomfort, you have a burden, you'll feel, you'll feel restrained. A door that was open will automatically close. A door that was closed will, oh, God will prevent you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction in your heart. And you just don't feel right. You just don't feel that peace about. So God is trying to get your attention. You're trying to go forward. And God is saying, stand still. Now, some of us have no idea what I'm talking about because you ain't, the Holy Spirit ain't never said nothing to you. <laughs> you just said, okay, I can't buy that. I'll get me a third job. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you going in debt. The Holy Spirit don't want you missing church. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to give you, take you away from the word and in prayer. It's the Holy Spirit saying, slow down. The reason you have no liberty here, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Why don't you have liberty? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to compel you, constrain you, to keep you from overextending or going outside the will of God. God will also get our attention through circumstances. Remember in the story of Jonah, Jonah, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I ain't going down to those, those clansmen. You know what they're going to do. He knew prophetically what the Ninevites were going to do to Jews because the prophet talked about it. So he, I ain't going down there. Jonah was a racist. So he gets on the he gets on the boat. I'll t- I'm going. I'm about to quit this. <laughs> Here's my resignation, God. You can't make me do what I don't want to do. So he jumps on the boat. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to a place called heading to a place called Tarsus, the total opposite direction. And God said, "Don't you understand that I control the wind? I control the waves." And so while jo- jo- Jonah is depressed. In the base of the ship, and the ship is about to sink, he had no idea. This, the, the captain of the ship comes down and says, how in the world are you sleeping through this storm? And he said, well, I'm a prophet of God, <laughs> and I'm fleeing from the Lord. And then the man, here, here, here's how God will get your attention. How could you do this to us? You're a Christian. Why are you here? You're a Christian. Now we got judgment on us. I want you to understand that when God is pursuing you as a Christian, he will get your attention through your circumstance, even if it means taking out everybody that's around you to get you. Jonah said, if you don't throw me off of this boat, all of us are going to die. Just like your family is sanctified or set apart and has a special hedge of protection around them because you belong to the Lord, the same is true when the hedge is removed because you're in sin. Now your family is in danger. And God will use circumstances. You done lined all this stuff up. You done planned it, and it all falls flat on you, flat on the ground. 
And you wonder, why is nothing working for me? Because God is using those circumstances to make you so miserable so that you will hear from him, that you will respond to his warning. God will also use divine judgment. All this stuff that's going on, the coronavirus, he never figured out where, he's still trying to figure out where it came from while millions of people were dying around the world. Divine judgment. Listen, in the last days, there's going to be pestilence. There's going to be famines. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. In Hebrews chapter 12, when you get a chance, in verses 25 through 26, the Lord talked about the time when he shook Mount Sinai and the people, they wouldn't hear Moses as a, as a messenger of God. He said, I got their attention. I caused an earthquake, and I caused the Mount Sinai to smoke. And they said, Lord, they said, Moses, please don't let, make us get any closer to this mountain. And the Lord said, just like I moved then, he said, but this, this he means that uh, he, will, he will sift out everything without solid foundation. God said, I'm about to shake up this stuff. And anything that's not based on glorifying me, it's going, he says, I'm going, anything that's shakeable is going to be removed. And he says, since we have a kingdom uh, that cannot be destroyed, that is what's going to last. And he said, what people are going to see that I'm a consuming fire. When judgment God comes, we may keep thinking that it's, it's the politicians, it's this and that. No, God is judging our nation because we have, we have turned our backs on him. So one of the ways that God will turn us back is by bringing divine judgment listening where the Mississippi River is drying up. The Mississippi River drying up? Other places in, Ohio, in the Five Lakes, uh, they, the, uh, the, where you, all, you also have these water shortages, and all of a sudden these dead bodies that were buried, <laughs> you find these dead bodies? And then God says, I'm going to send some flood rains and those same bodies that emptied out within five days are full again. God is in charge. He's going to get our attention. God primarily will use his word to get our attention. Somebody say amen. amen. The king had a nightmare that God sent cause to trouble him. What does God have to do to get your attention? When are you going to stop trying to run your own life? You don't have peace. You don't have joy. It, it, it's unfulfilling. When you get finished doing your thing, you still have to come back what you didn't with, to do what you didn't do. We need to do it God's way. Do not harden your heart when God is speaking to you. One of the greatest things that I am appreciative of is that God speaks to me. I hear from God. That's the, the last thing that I would ever want not to be true as a pastor, not to hear from God. That's why when I preach, it sounds like I'm reading your emails or, 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 or checking your God shows me. I'm not trying to know what's going on with you like that. But I'm not so special that God won't speak to you if we'll listen. And so he caused the king to have some trouble sleeping. What is God trying to do? What does God have to do to get your attention? One of the things, I was having some if issues in my marriage, and it was 
really bad. And it looked like it was over. This is not Sister Virginia. And that day, when it looked like this was a done deal, get a call from the school. And the teacher said, your son brought a knife to school. Knife to school. This kid's only in the first grade. <laughs> and this is before a license to carry. <laughs> I didn't know they could license kids to carry, but this, this little joker carried a knife to school. So they brought both parents to the school. And uh, we sit there, and we asked the kid, what are you doing with the knife? He said, I brought it to kill the teacher. <laughs> I think he just made that up. Come on now. Come on. He... <laughs> so I said, why? I, said, I said, why didn't you? He said, I forgot. <laughs> that was God using that crisis in our son to turn our attention from foolishness to concentrate on what matters. God will, God will get your attention to your children. Whatever he has to do, that warning shot, if you don't listen, it, it, this thing could really get out of control. Let me, let me run on. What did the dream reveal about the king? Well, it revealed four things. It revealed at least four things. Uh, and let me just read a part of verse 24. It says, then this, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the most high. This is the, the, the most high is, is, a, is a reference to the name of God. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He's Adoniah. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is his decree. I know what you call yourself doing as the, the leader of these empires, but here's the real king's decree. He has an issue against my lord, the king. Here's four things that, 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 uh, that were revealed about the king through the dream. First of all, God had an issue with the king. When we fail to fear God, you picked a fight with God. It's not going to turn out well for you. And so the first thing said that this, the issue about this dream is that God is saying you are an issue. God is saying to our nation, to the church that, that, has, that, has, that has desecrated the meaning of church, he said, I have an issue with you. God has an issue with you. God is also, the second thing that's revealed is God is going to deal with you severely. God says, I'm going to cut the tree down. Here's how I'm going to cut the tree down. I'm going to touch your mind. You're going to have a psychotic break. I was just with a guy who is a PhD in physics. Another room I was in, a guy, both of them dying. Next room was electronic digit uh, word puzzle creator. Brilliant. But all of their brilliance cannot reverse that death room. So, so the Lord said... I'm going to deal with you severely. The first thing I'm going to deal with you, I'm going to, I'm going to shut down your mental capacities and totally disrupt everything in your life for seven years. God said, I'm going to predict this. This is going to happen in your life for seven years. Every aspect of your life, I'm going to disrupt. Can you imagine how seriously God takes not fearing him? 
every aspect. Oh, my life is going great. I'm everything that I ever wanted. No, no, no. There's a, there's a plan that God has for us. That's when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. There's a life where he says, he says, I will bless you beyond what you can even imagine or fathom. There's a blessed life that most of us as Christians, because we chose our own way, we're not experiencing it because we're satisfied with the low-hanging fruit. God said, I've got some stuff up here that I can't even trust you with. And so he said, I'm about to mess up your life. Well, that God is love. God can't do that. Well, the Bible also says that the, that, that the Bible says that the wrath of God, <laughs> the righteous indignation of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all who suppress the truth. God is, all, God is love, but it, he's a loving God that hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners, but he hates the sin that sinners commit. And so his wrath is, he says, my wrath is, is released. It's like a cloud that hovers upon all of us because of, divine, because of divine judgment. Sin, sin angers God. God said, here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to mess up your vacation plans. I'm going to make you have to wait a long time at the airport. In fact, I'm going to make it rain on your birthday. I used to think that somehow I had so much control that on my birthday would never rain. My team would never lose on my birthday. That's how, that's how God, God was really taking my, my, my orders. So he says, so the second thing is, I'm going about to deal with you severely. He said, also, God identifies his issue with Nebuchadnezzar. He said, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to whoever he wishes. God's problem with Nebuchadnezzar is that Nebuchadnezzar was too impressed with himself. I remember I had a man come in and he told me he'd been ordained by three different denominations. I said, brother, you either lie to them because the ones that you said you were ordained by, they don't agree with, they, their doctrine is totally different. So how could you agree and take and pass the test? So you either lie to them or you lie to me now and say, my problem with you is the same problem I believe God. You're, too impress you're more impressed with yourself than God is impressed with you. With that, he got up, slammed my door and walked out. I never saw him again until he was in the papers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. They made they made a they made a law for this particular person. He was so crooked. Human pride is the greatest obstacle to rightful respect to right to rightful respect to God. The, the one thing that will keep you from hum, humbly honoring God in reverence is pride. Pride. And brothers. We got that. We got that. We, we, we kind of got a, we got a market on that. Men can be very prideful. I have a sermon one day I'm going to preach. Men, stop driving our wives crazy. We're driving our wives crazy. There's stuff that they can help us with. They can't even say it to us without knowing it's going to set us off. Our, our, yeah, they, yeah, well, I'm pretty. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna let. I will not announce that ahead of time. 
there's some things that our wives can really help us with, but pride, pride, pride. That will keep you from reverencing God. And when we don't respect God, he's not ruling. And where he is not ruling, he will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon us uh, such showers of blessing that he said he will release. He said, in fact, I will not even hear your prayers. You act like Nebuchadnezzar, you act like you're God. You act like you're control, but you're not. God also reveals the fourth thing, moving right along. God reveals who is truly the ruler of the, of the universe. It's him. He said, look, I'm going to have this tree cut down, but the stump will remain. The stump's going to be you. That's you the stump. <laughs> and he says, after seven years, when you finally recognize who is really sovereign, I'm going to restore your kingdom. God said, I'm going to restore your kingdom. Now, here's what happens. This is, this is a powerful passage when you get a chance in Matthew, in Mark chapter 9. Peter, James, and Don were one of the 12 original disciples, the 12 that Jesus chose. But he had an inner circle. They were a part of that inner circle. And there were things that they were allowed to experience that the other nine were not. And one of the things that Jesus allowed them to experience was he, they went to the mountain with Christ, invited them to go to the mountain. And even though they had been with Christ for about two and a half years, they did not fully understand who Jesus was. And so the Bible says when Jesus stood on that mountain, that something happened. He was transfigured. His appearance was altered. His body began to to glow. It was like what we call the Shekinah glory. He, the brightness from Christ began to illuminate. And when Peter saw that, he also noticed that two other prophets appeared, Elijah and Moses. And Peter said, oh, the Bible says that the three of them became afraid. When you really see the Lord for what he is and who he is, the immediate reaction is going to be fear. Fear. And so Peter says, trying to, not knowing what to say, the Bible says, he said, he said, should we make altars for all three? And then the voice of God spoke, this is my son. Hear you him. And then they bowed and they worshiped Jesus. I want you to understand this is really, fear is really about who is in charge of your life. Who's calling the shots? When the Lord is calling the shots in your life, what will happen is you will find yourself just reflecting on who he is, will cause you to want to worship him. When you think not about what he has done, I ain't talking about the, the food he put on your table, the roads I have on my back. I'm not sure I'm just going, if he never did any of that, he's still God all by himself. He is the one who is the uncaused cause. Before there was a cause, he was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. He existed in all time, at all times. I want to worship that God. Do you ever, do you, have you encountered that God? It'll make you want to worship. It'll cause you to have awe. It'll put you on your face. 
That won't be your plan. You didn't come here to be waving your hands and stretched out on the floor and crying out in a loud voice. But when you get a glimpse of God, when his spirit meets your spirit and agrees, you will find yourself lifting up holy hands. You will find yourself giving him praise. My question is, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him lifted up high and holy? Have you seen him for who he is? Peter, James, and John got on their face, and they worshiped him. That's what, that, was, that was the problem with God had with Nebuchadnezzar. You think you're running something. You're not, you, you, this is, this is, when you have children, you really can't even make children do what you want them to do if they don't want to cooperate. But I believe that God has put in children, when they're not in rebellion, a heart to be, to be loved by their parents and to be obedient. God actually promises to bless children who are obedient to their parents and to curse those who are not. Now, why did God allow Daniel to give the king a warning? He didn't have to. When Ananias and Sapphira came to church that Sunday, they waving their arms. They're going to be impressed with this. We're going to bridge the gap. And Ananias, Peter said, the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that Ananias was lying because he held back a part of God's money. How many of you know you don't want to play with God's money? You don't want to play with God's money. So he said, why did you hold back when it was, it was in your control? Nobody told you you had to give a certain amount. This was a free will offering. This was a bridge the gap offering. This was a sacrificial offering. And he said, no, I gave everything. And with that, he breathed his last and he fell dead. And the Bible says, and the fear of God filled the church. I want you to know that Ananias didn't get a warning. Sometimes we don't get a second chance to get it right. Some of us have had chance after chance. You know. So I know I shouldn't be here. The stuff I didn't do. Lord have mercy. Jesus. I said, Lord, if you get me out of this one, am I, am I the only one? And then he did. And then I said it again. If you get me out of this one, Lord, I'll never do it again. He knew I was lying. <laughs> then I said, Lord, I ain't going to ever pray that prayer again. I ain't going to ask you to do anything for me. And then the Holy Spirit said, you may forsake me, but I'll never forsake you. <laughs> That's the kind of God we serve. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice is warning. Why did God give him a warning? So he could repent. Well, I got away with it. I mean, nobody said anything. Nobody knew what I was doing when I was over there. I was in another state. Nobody saw. God saw what you were doing. Nothing's hidden from the eyes of the Lord. You didn't get away. But I'm saying, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever we sow, that you also reap. And the scripture says, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he's not willing that in should perish, but he wants him. So he's being patient. You didn't get away. Delayed judgment doesn't mean that judgment's not coming. Sometimes the word judgment is that he didn't take you out. 
that you're drifting further and further away, and you're delaying your destiny and your purpose. That's what the they can keep you out of heaven, but if it can keep you out of the will of God, then you can't be used. He gave him time to repent. He gave him time to avoid judgment. He said that it may be that God will give you length in your process. God may bless you. God doesn't have God. God doesn't desire to beat us. He wants to bless us. When the prodigal son left his father's house, give me my money. Once I graduate from high school, I ain't ever going back to church again. And wait till I get to college. I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wild out. Wild out. My parents ain't going to hear from me until I need some more money. And we send it to them. My kids in college, they learning how to be pagans. Not going to anybody's church. Half going to class. Every day the prodigal son was away. The father wasn't saying, I hope he gets destroyed. I hope the devil devours him. No, he was desiring for the prodigal to return. All the son needed to do, and he recognized it. The Bible said, when he came to his senses, he said, all I need to do is go back home. And if I repent, my father will accept me. The Lord is not trying to destroy your family or destroy your life or rain on your parade. He wants you to repent so you can be restored. Let me finish with this. How did Nebuchadnezzar respond to the warning? When you get a chance in verses 28 through the end of the chapter 37, it says, about a year later, this dude, ha, 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 I know what Daniel said. Yeah, he talking all that Bible stuff and quoting scripture. <laughs> the Bible says, at this, and it, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built? As a royal residence, my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven and said, this is what is the decree of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. So he didn't avoid the consequences. He just man, look at this job. My kids are finished college, and they all have good jobs. And I got money in the bank. I can retire anytime I feel like it. And the Lord says to people who, who think like that, and I get a chance to see it, he said, I'm shutting it all down. Your royal, your authority, your job, you don't have it anymore. You always work for the post office and the phone company. You always had a job. Not no more. You better hold on to Amazon. <laughs> go where they go. <laughs> God shut. So I'm shutting down your royal authority. It's been taken. He didn't ask him. So what is, whatever that thing is the most important thing to you, God can take it. Snatch it right out of your hands. And that's the thing. You ever have somebody, some bully come and take, I had a guy snatch a baseball bat. I'm like, you know, he come and grabbing my bat. And he's going to make me get, I ain't giving you my bat, but he was stronger than me at that time. I can still remember Conrad snatching that bat out of my hand. 
You ever had something snatched from you? Or we're back in Philadelphia when they turn on the fire hydrants and you're walking by and they do decide, you're going to get wet. You coming from church, your bell bottoms and your orange suit looking all fly, your big old black hat with the white rim. And they pick you up, like six of them, I don't care how strong, and they're going to put you in the fire hydrant. God said, I'm about to put you in the fire hydrant, and you won't be able to do anything to resist this. He says also here, your mind, I'm taking your mind. Can you imagine waking up and not, I woke waking up sometime, and you don't remember your passcode? Anybody that happened to somebody? Just your passcode. I'm about to erase your whole memory bank. I'm going to give you a psychotic break, and you're going to think you are a wild animal. Can you imagine? That wasn't Satan. God said, I'm doing this. You're going to be crazy for seven years. I don't care what kind of physicians you have, what kind of attorneys you got, how much money you got in the bank, who you know, how many people in the church pray for you, who puts oil on you. You're going to be crazy for seven years. I'm going to show you how to fear me. You're going to act like an animal. He grew claws like an animal. Hair grew. Looked like a beast of the field. No human could help him. I want you to know when God disciplines us for, for personal sin, that until he take, David said, even the doctor will not be able to diagnose what's going on with you. Why are you crazy? They're not crazy. It's not a diagnosis. But what's, they're going to be trying to diagnose why you are the way you are. And David said, when I kept silent about my sin, I couldn't sleep at night. He said, my bone, the flesh from my bone, I, I, I had no appetite. I was sick. And there was no, no diagnosis. It's called the guilt of sin. He said, what you about to go through, Nebuchadnezzar, ain't no doctor going to be able to give you a prescription or a diagnosis. You've been going to the doctor for 15 years, and nobody can tell you what's wrong with you. It's right here. (laughs) And they give you the MRI, the FRI, the the MTRI. (laughs) My wife will straighten me out about all those things. And nobody can This is a diagnosis given by God. Now, here's what happens. The good news is this. He acknowledged who God was. He, avoided, he didn't avoid the consequences, but he, when he came, the Bible says, when I came to my senses, when I looked up to heaven, seven, it took him seven years. When Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured and the Lord said, here, this is my son, they got it right away. It took this joker seven years. Some of us are going through divine judgment for an extended period of time because we refuse to humble ourselves. It took Moses 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness before he came under the authority of God the way that he could to be used by God. God wants to use you, but you just have to humble yourself. Seven years. This was the conversion of a celebrity. And he said, then I acknowledge that God is sovereign, that God is in charge, that every nation should worship not the God of Daniel, but my God. I want you to understand, stand with me, when you experience the presence of the Lord, even when he allows divine judgment or discipline to come, the goal is to restore you. 
is for you to return to him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He became a believer. He became a believer. What is God using in your life to get your attention so that you're no longer the priority, but he is? Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the God of the Bible, not this nonsense. It's not about us. It's about him. That's why we're studying the bondage breaker. It is not about you and me. It's about him. I counseled this young gentleman for years. Gentle giant, six foot seven. Nicest guy you'd ever want to know. Five children. Not married, same lady. Finally decided he's going to get married. What I didn't know in the five years that I counseled him, that he had a cocaine problem. One day I get a call early in the morning, Sunday morning, come to the hospital. This brother's dead. I couldn't believe it. I went in there six, 34 years old, six foot seven, all this person. What happened? Tried it one more time. Just one more time. And learning the history, all kinds of warnings, all kinds of programs. One more time. That last time was his last time. How many warnings do we have to get about God's will for our life before we finally surrender? That's where your joy is going to come from. That's where victory comes from, from surrendering totally to him. You've got to trust God. He, he knows what is best for you. It means that you've got to surrender. You've been warned. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the example of Nebuchadnezzar. These things were written for our edification, for our admonition, so that we don't have to go through what he went through. Father, may we heed to the warning that pride comes before the fall, and pride will cause us not to fear you. And Father, you will deal with us with a heavy hand. In Jesus' name, amen.